Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for one of the most exciting Tour de France stages we've ever recapped, even though this is only our third edition. Stage 7, the Super Planche de Belfi finish, 176Ks from Tomblin. This is it's in the Alsace region, I think, close to Germany. We had Bora Hansgrohe, I thought, were going to be big protagonists today. We had Pagacha in the first day. In the yellow jersey, would UAE try and give it away? Roglic lost a bit of time yesterday. Well, Pogac took bonus seconds. How would he go? Jonas, better on the 40-minute climbs. How would he go? Would Ineos try to play some of their multiple GC riders? It's a 7K, 8.5% finish. The stage before was pretty straightforward. It's a 20-minute climb. There's a steep, steep gravel section at the finish, like 17% pinches. And... Let's talk about, Benji, what the textbook is. The conventional textbook, Team Sky, Froome against Quintana. They've got the yellow jersey. They've somehow got the yellow jersey on stage mm-hmm. seven. Yes. And your Sky, you let the break win and take yellow today so you don't have to defend for the next four days, right? Exactly. And that's what the majority of GTC, G, Grand Tour teams, like the GC teams, would do in a situation where they're in yellow so early on in the Grand Tour because like, they want to lose it before the Alp stages come. They want to lose that yellow jersey before the Alp stages come. And perhaps UAE would not do that, depending on uh, how the stage would end up. But you said it. A Sky would do that. I think if Yumbo comes to the stage in the yellow jersey with a Roglic or something, just like in every Vuelta they do, they would give that yellow jersey away to some random guy in the breakaway, whether it was Shockman or some other rider that is in the breakaway, stuff like that. So it's a, a clear principle. And um, we'd see that perhaps happening after the breakaway formed. But I want to talk about the formation of the breakaway a tiny bit. And I'd like to go in the fact that we saw certain methods used to try and get riders in the breakaway because we talk a lot about the initial part of stages being uh, a reason for certain strategies to go in the breakaway to be used and we talk about flat starts to a stage or uphill starts to a stage when we see uphill starts to stages, we see climbers getting into that breakaway without the need of ruler by their side to keep the tempo going and for example with a stage like today where the majority of the start is flat and then one like hockey stick climb at the finish line then you notice that it's different methods, and we noticed the same last year, I think, on the Montes Onkulan stage in the Giro. That's where rulers get into the breakaways easier because there's no climbs at the start. What methods do you see teams using here to try and get their climbers in the breakaway while it's not that easy to do so on the flat? Well, we spoke before the stage. We need to make coin another corny phrase, so we're going to call it a tugboat, a tugboat buddy. <laughs> and so you get a big, strong ruler. We saw this with Goldstein and Dowsett in the UAE Tour 2021. What an obscure reference, but more relevantly, <laughs> Pollitt and Shackman uh, today. Pollitt, like he tried so, so hard for Shackman, who was going for yellow, uh, to take yellow. And we saw Mads Pedersen for Ciccone or Molima. Couldn't really tell because their kits are different and they look like Alpersons. So great branding from both those teams, not knowing <laughs> who they are on the Tour de France. Um, and yeah, the problem was Mike Woods, they've got Guillaume Bovin, Hugo Hull, Froome. Froome was at the front. Like they have, sorry, but Israel aren't really doing too much at this race. Like they're not going for top 10 GC, I don't think. They're going for KOM. They, they did win the 
cobbled stage with with Clark, but I'm saying they're going for like stage win objectives and they can afford to spend rulers to get Woods in the break. And he was having to do it. He was trying to be smart and not chase everything because the break didn't go for like 60, 70 Ks, but he just missed the wrong the wrong move. And I really think he needed a tugboat um, with him today. And that's a really big missed opportunity. He was very, very angry that he missed it. He was even shouting at Ghana. It was weird, Benji, because I couldn't figure it out. Well, no, actually, I could figure out what UA were doing. UA were letting twos and threes goes, but one, go. But once it was a group of five, chasing. Um, yeah, and that basically is a very obvious tell that they want to win the stage, so they have an easier break to control. Ineos, no idea. <laughs> like the Ghana move. Did you see the Ghana move where he followed yeah. Geshka, chased him, <laughs> caught up to him, and then just sat up? Like it's what Wout <laughs> should have done yesterday. But even so, like. I couldn't really figure out what Ineos were trying to do at the start. Same story. I didn't know what that Ghana move really was uh, meant to do. Yeah, he's basically controlling Gashke. That's the sole thing he's doing in that move. And then he's basically sitting up and going back to the peloton instead. So no clue what they were doing. But eventually we did have a breakaway form after loads of people tried to go in breakaways left and right. And that was because of those duos. You said it. Bullet tried stuff with Sharkman and so forth earlier, but it was a duo of Bora that was not Bullet. It was Sharkman and Kemna that got in the breakaway. Mess Peterson got in there as well. They've got Kasper Asgren, Cyril Bart, Dylan Turns, who won on Plange de 2018. I could be wrong about that. At some point, he won on uh, Champs-Élysées 2019, perhaps. Um, Langen UAE, Simon Geschke, and Imanol Erviti. By the way, the Vegas Steker Langen move, like, what did you see in that? I think he just, he was trying to mark the move and then it slipped behind him and he ended up in it. That's what happened. And I think that's what I spent about two hours in the mountains trying to figure out why Erviti and Durbridge were in the break because, <laughs> like, I just, I don't get it because, like, there's no time cut risk. It doesn't make the stage easier because you're not going to get a big gap. And you just do the final climb at 30 minutes instead of 20 minutes. And the makes no sense. I don't know why they're in the break. I think they just got caught in there and then didn't sit up. But yeah, it's satellite rider. Erviti was a satellite rider from Mars. (laughs) No, I'm not even that. I'm not even accepting the joke um, (laughs) or allowing it. Or Durbridge's satellite for um, Dylan Kronovegan to make make sure he doesn't miss the time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Matthews to win the sprint. Sure. Oh, yeah. That's the break that went. UAE were pacing hard all day. They caught, they brought Stake and Langen back. Sharkman wanting the yellow jersey. And if not, Kamner for the stage win against Turns and Geshka was a sort of likely scenario. And the reason why, Benji, let's talk about, oh, before, we, before that, before that, because I wanted to have a good discussion about UAE. The men's Tour de France is now well underway, which means the Tour de France Famovic Zwift is just around the corner. It starts on the last stage of the men's tour on Champs-Élysées. Zwift are celebrating with a Watch the Fam mission that has kicked off complete up to eight Watch the Fam events for your chance to unlock in-game kit, but also unlocks Tour de France Famovic Zwift leaders' jerseys signed by their eventual winner. Head to Zwift.com to find out more or to start your free seven-day trial. The this is a twenty minute climb, Benji. Mm-hmm. There's you can't take a minute today on serious GC threats. He won the stage yesterday. He's in yellow. Why do you think 
Hogg got his whole team to pace for three and a half hours today. Well, if I had to believe Twitter, then everybody's family was on top of Las de Belfie today. So Pogacar's family was there. So perhaps that's a, an individual reason to do it. But tactically, it makes less sense to go after the stage. Except for the fact that I felt like we saw Primoz Roglic at the back of the peloton quite a lot during the stage to the point where I was getting low-key scared that something was up with him. And perhaps UAE saw that and they were like, okay, then we definitely have to control this stage. Then we definitely have to keep this up because on paper, pre-tour de France, this is a Roglic stage. But going back like to the time trial of Planche Belfia on paper... It certainly fits Pogacar as well, but Roglic would on paper fit on Planche Belfia quite well and would be competitive, so Pogacar wouldn't be able to do much to him. But if he had anything up with him, like he had last year after having a good time trial after the crash, the next day was his bad day. If he had his bad day today, for example, then Pogacar could actually kill off Roglic in GC. So I see that as a good reason. 100%. And I think, remember, the long wee stage last year was stage seven. Stage eight was the stage Pagacha went long. Now we don't have the parkour here for that, but he's probably thinking, I have the best recovery. Vlasov crashed. Don't rate all of Ineos. Roglic really want him on three and a half minutes, not two and a half or two, kill him off. And as Benji said, the climb suits Pagacha more and the gravel section probably better for the slightly heavier rider than Jonas, who's shaping up to be his big GC threat. So anyway, really... The stage became a pulling contest between the breakaway. Eventually, Mads Pedersen dropped. They get to the climb. Unfortunately, the intermediate sprint wasn't too far up the climb for Wout Van Aert, but he took a couple of points, I think, on uh, Sagan today. And, yeah, UAE Benji, like, they nearly cost nearly cost Pogacar the stage today. It was a close-run thing, or cost the GC group the stage. They like Stekelangen, Soler, Björg pacing, it's down to two minutes, uh, two and a half minutes, two minutes. The gap I thought, I thought two minutes, break 100% wins, 130, 50-50 uh, sort, of, sort of region. And eventually, and, and Pagacha is not going to spend McNulty and Micah in the chase, I saw they basically just blew up. And you may see, you may be watching on TV and you're thinking, why are Ineos at the front, Jumbo Visma at the front? But if you watch really closely in the run-in, you will see Van Hoydonk even speaks to Duchesne and the Kofidis rider, and they all agree not to half-wheel each other, and they just maintain position, and they're giving time back to Shackman pulling Kamner. They're just pacing to maintain front position before the descent into Planche de Belfi. They're not chasing the break back. So the gap's 140 at the base. And at that point, I was kind of surprised, Benji, that Kamna attacked basically Shackman at the base. Yes, certainly. That's true. You would expect that he would perhaps use Shackman as long as possible on the climb to keep Shackman basically pacing as long as possible to keep the gap as much as possible to then keep your energy to make your own move later. And the Kemna attack basically sparked attacks from everybody in the group. Like, not Kemna's move was the most decisive one initially, but it was um, Geshka that got away for a tiny bit. Geshka attacked, turns rode away from Kemna, and then Kemna basically decided to uh, launch another attack towards turns. And like, we can talk about Kemna being a godlike rider, but the move that he made to the wheel of turns and then flowing past turns and back to Geshka, that was a pretty damn strong move in the end. 
And I think that at that point, it was clear that Kemna was going to be the leftover rider for me in the breakaway. Yeah, and I think Kemna's just a better climber than Shackman anyway. Like, it's just, if they actually want to win the stage, I mean, what would Sh- they would have needed such a big gap at the base because, like, with the way Pogaccio, I mean, I think, yeah, Pogaccio just put the death nail on them with UAE pacing. And we get to the GC group. We don't really see them for the first four Ks. It's Bennett pacing. No, sorry, McNulty pacing, Benji. Gap yep. goes from 110 to 55. No one's really dropping. It's all fanned out. Uh, forgive me. We see, though, Martinez kind of lingering at the back. And McNulty finishes his turn. It's 55. Four and a half Ks, five Ks to go. And it goes to the front, who almost had to stop pacing in the fast run-in. The gap doesn't move much. It goes to yep. 48 seconds, and Kamna looks pretty fucked, to be honest. Like, I don't have the climbing times yet, but it's 48 seconds, and I was thinking Pog's team is selling him here. And they almost did. Like, they got to pace all day, and, yeah, they're not going to catch the breakaway. Eventually, I think, and, and at that point, I was like, do Ineos try something? Anyway, Vlasov actually gets dropped off the pace of Bennett, which wasn't that high. He loses 90 seconds today. I I was a Vlasov denier in terms of his climbing, but not on this stage. So yeah. like, does the crash affected him yesterday more than we thought? Perhaps. We don't know that. He had his COVID thing before the Tour de France. Perhaps that has an influence. So all these aspects could have an influence on Vlasov here. I think um, I was also not expecting this stage to be the one that he fell through on and losing this much time on a climb that on paper fits him much better than the ones that are to come in the Alps stages that are coming on stage 11 and 12, for example, the Galibier and so forth. Those are longer climbs. We haven't seen Plazov compete on those in a while. And I was less trustworthy on those climbs for him and more on these climbs. But also Martinez also falling through. So not the only rider that... Um, was falling through Vlasov. So GC leaders dropping left and right. And it started becoming clear for me that we've spoken about UAE quite a bit, how they handled the breakaway, how they handled the climb. Big shout out to George Bennett, by the way. Just wanted to give that extra because while the tempo was not godlike by him, I might have expected him to drop earlier than what he did. I was surprised by the fact that Magnolti was before Bennett, though. Yeah, Is me that too. because of the climb? I don't know. I was surprised by that. I thought Bennett would be before him, but Bennett's climbing better than McNulty right now. And yeah, I was, because you look at McNulty on Paranis on Torini, like he came top 10 with Almeida sort of region, like in that group, kind of surprised he was there. I don't know. He's a bigger body than Bennett, but yeah, Bennett did a good pull. Micah's pull, Benji. Micah couldn't do anything today. (laughs) Like, let's talk about, I thought Micah was going to, I thought what was going to happen was they get to the really steep section. We have Martinez off the back, Vlasov at the back, which by the way, credit to Bora, they are going for podium or that sort of region with Vlasov as their best case. And they don't inhibit the team's ambitions for a stage today. Imagine they don't go on the break. They keep Shapman Kemner back and Vlasov just drops. Like, what a waste of time. It's kind of what Ineos did, to be honest. A question about that strategy, though. We see yesterday that Yumbo sends Wout Finard in the breakaway, for example, and we see that as a criticism because 
Jumbo is taking away a valuable domestique for the final for Roglic and Vingegaard. While today, Vlasov has two domestiques in the breakaway with Bullet trying to help out to get those riders in the breakaway. Like, is that the same thing? Or is it because it's a difference between having two leaders and one leader? Or because it's a difference between competing for the victory versus for the podium? Or where do you see the differences between those two teams? I think it's victory against podium. Like, I think... I don't think Vlasov and Bora were like, we're going to win the tour, maybe if yeah. Hog or whatever fall out. But I think Yumbo with two leaders actually trying to win the tour as the main goal is why. And also, like, they're in a break with a chance. Like, with mother riders, it's more normal break. Yeah. So, yeah. Also, and this applies to the White Banat thing, marketing-wise, like, you know, White Flag, Vlasov against Shackman and Kamna, like you want to give Shackman and Kamner a chance for the sponsors, I think. Um, but anyway, Micah's pull on Planche de Belfi, still a reasonably sized group, doesn't move the gap at all, and Kamner's peddling absolute squares. Micah then pulls off at the base of the gravel section. He right. hasn't dropped Thomas Yates. Uh, Martinez is gapped. Flasov is gapped. Pals was in coming back. Kuz, Roglic, and Jonas are there looking good. Sorry, yeah, Benji, you had some thoughts on the Micah pull. Yeah, when Micah pulled off, it looked so weird because, like, before he pulled off the front, we saw him, like, look back to Poggi, like, mate, this is the moment you need to go because I'm, I'm, I'm dying here up front. And Poggi, like, basically, like, I don't know if he nodded, no, but that's what I, what I got from it when watching it. And he waited a bit longer. And then, like, five seconds later, Micah basically, like, swooped his hand, like, mate, just go already. And... When you're Micah, that's that's bloody stupid to do, in my opinion. It gives a very weird view on the television for everybody that's watching, in my opinion. I'm like, should I read into this? What am I reading into this? Was Porgy not ready to attack because he didn't have the energy? Was he that's not ready to attack it. because he expected more from Micah, for example? I think Pagacha decided at about two to three Ks to go, he'll go for the sprint and see how it goes. I think he... Because Benji was like... You have to think, what does Pagacha normally do? What would Jesus do? He's not <laughs> Thomas or Froome or Roglish. What yeah. does Pagacha do when he feels good, even if it's a group of eight? He attacks. attacks. Now, I know there's... Well, and that was it, Benji. I thought the plan for UAE would have been bring P Poggy to the base of the gravel steep section, and he launches. Yep. I thought that would have been the plan. And that's Especially. kind of what... That's what Micah almost signposted, right? He's like, here we are. Exactly. And especially on days after the crash of Roglic, where there's opportunities before Roglic comes back from whatever pain he's currently in and is reporting to have. Like, perhaps when we get to the Alps, Roglic might already feel better. So these might be the days that Poggi might be able to get that strike in. And he doesn't do that early attack. So that, for me, was also a sign of, okay, he might not have it to attack with 4K to go today. Yeah, and also, again, it's a 20-minute climb. It's the main climb of the day. Poggy, even though he's a mythical being, like guys do not just ride away 10 minutes into a 20-minute climb when it's the only climb of the day. That's just not how it works. Um, differences are made at the end, and the steep section at the end is what where you can make the big differences. So I think he just wanted to wait for a sprint. We've got Camner up ahead. He absolutely stalls on the final section. Poggy does kick on the gravel. He drops Thomas off the wheel. Thomas just starts to do his own pace. Yates actually tries to keep the wheel of Pagacha, but he's swarmed by Jonas Vingegaard and Primoz Roglic. Jonas runs to Poggy's wheel. Poggy then rides defensively on the gravel. 
steady pace with those guys on the wheel. No one tests him. Eventually, they get to the steep section. Jonas attacks him out of his wheel, <laughs> gets a good gap, and I think, holy shit, Jonas is going to win the stage. Gets onto the steep, steepest gravel section. Pagacha remains in the saddle, looking really, really good in the gravel. Winds him back. They go past Paul Leonard Kemner, our boy. And then Poggy reels him in and nails uh, Jonas in the slowest head-to-head sprint ever. They must have been going like 12 kilometers an hour. And Poggy looks back. No time gaps, four bonus seconds, back-to-back stages. And yeah, what a win for Pagatra again. But it was a close run thing, Benji. If Jonas wins the stage, UAE look like idiots. Exactly. And I disagree with one portion of what you said in the final kilometer. And that's... When Jonas went past Poggi, I thought for a second that Jonas was going to drop him. Because Poggi, like you said, he looked good. I feel like he didn't look that great in his response. A gap opened up and it was really like, it was like he was mentally fighting, having to come back to Jonas and trying to beat him on the line. I don't think this was an easy victory in the last kilometer for certain. And I, um, I don't know, I saw not weakness because he ended up winning the stage, but there's something there that shouts to me that Jonas is competitive against Poggi. And it motivates me a lot when it comes to the competitiveness for the victory in the Tour de France. Turn down your microphones or your headphones, everybody. We're back on! The Tour is back! We're back! Ouch, my ears. Jonas has it, man. <laughs> he has it. If he's only losing, he didn't lose any time. I thought he was going to lose 10 plus 10 today. I couldn't believe it. Attacking Pogaccia. <laughs> This doesn't mean anything. I've completely deluded myself again. I've seen that. I've seen Roglic, Jonas, 2-3. Wait until the Alps. Heat wave coming next week. 40-minute climbs. Like, this was so good. As a, I mean, for Roglic, yeah, he lost another 12 seconds. But, like, I mean, I should read out the results. Pogaccio wins the stage ahead of Jonas. Roglic, third, drops all the other GC guys and takes four bonus ahead of Paul Kamner. Fourth, Thomas fifth, Godu sixth on 19, Mass 21. Mass is going to probably top five if he doesn't crash. Bardet eighth, I think he'll go for GC now. Yates lost 29, kind of surprising. Uh, and I think he lost that right at the end. Coos 10th on 41. Um, I wish they freed Coos for the stage. Danny Martinez loses 45 with Guillaume Martin, Uran, and Pidcock. Quintana loses 51. Menkes. I think had a mechanical. You saw him running his bike Froome style. And Vlasov, 139. That is gonna be that is gonna be tough. I will say, um, like hats off to FTJ. There's a lot of talk of chaining Pino. Pino actually tried to get in the break today. They just they didn't overcommit to it. Um, but Pagancha takes extends his lead by four seconds on Jonas, 35 seconds on Jonas. 110, Thomas moves into third because Palace and Peacock drop out uh, on, on 110. Yates on 118, Gudu on 131, uh, Bardet on 132, Pidcock on 135. I'll be interested to see what they do with him. Palace on 137, Mass 143, Martinez drops to 155, Quintana 206, Vlasov 241, Roglic moves up 15 spots to 245. So... I am I'm very happy from what I've seen because all I want is for there to be battles in the mountains and Bogatia winning a 500 meter sprint against Jonas is means nothing to me for that. I want to highlight a few more things when it comes to this final. First of all, this entire final of the stage was 
absolutely batshit crazy, I feel like. Kemna having that slender lead, Gino Mater style, potential heartbreak at the finish line with, with 40 seconds with like a kilometer and a half to go. I was like, this is going to be really close because that steep section at the end, the gravel section is going to hurt so much for every single person crossing that. And then we noticed that Roglic and Jonas are straight up on the wheel of Poggi and Poggi's not attacking from them. He's pacing them into the final kilometer and a half. So he's kind of waiting for that sprint like we mentioned earlier, but a Poggi that can drop Rogla and Jonas would drop them there. And he didn't. And I want to highlight how insane it is that Roglic crashed so hard on the cobble stage. Yesterday might not have been a good stage at all for Jumbo when it comes to the perspective and their reputation most likely as well after that stage uh, on Twitter and social media and so forth. And tactics-wise, based on what we discussed yesterday. But if I look at Roglic today, I'm like... Holy crap, that guy's uh, insane. Going back from that, the mental capacity of striking back after such bad things happening to him throughout his career, like this is an example of that. And him getting so close on 12 seconds in the stage, taking back four seconds, obviously not on Pogi because he takes 10 seconds bonus, but I, uh, he beats every single other person in this race. Like he even passes Kemna at the finish line. That is insane by Primoz. And it's also... Is this the first time that we see Primoz, Jonas, and Poggi in the Tour de France against each other on a mountain finish? Yes, it was. And it was fantastic. And like, yeah, I think I think Roglic podium is guaranteed at this point if he stays on his bike and doesn't crash again. Like he is going to ruin Thomas and Co. on Grenon and other stages if he keeps it up. Would you do that though? If I'm Yumbo, I would. That's the discussion, yeah. If I'm Roglic, I, I don't care about getting third and second. Maybe that's easy for me to say, not the rider on the bike, but I'd go YOLO in a in an Alp stage, or no, probably not YOLO, but I'd actually try early stuff with Roglic, knowing that he's behind, while Jonas is your more defensive option now. Like we said earlier, like does Roglic's position switch around the? They were both well, yeah, leaders, West, but, but they were what different should they leaders. Do? What should they do? Should Roglic uh, just be a straight domestique for Jonas? I don't think they should be domestiques. I think Roglic is close enough to GC to play a role in putting pressure on UAE. And therefore, he should be a rider that tries to go for the earlier attacks as a GC rider. Like we expected Jonas to do before the Tour de France, for example. And now Jonas is a defensive option for their GC, you know? So, dual leadership, but the roles are switched around compared to what I saw before the Tour. I think if you just train it up on Grenon and it's hot, Jonas can put in um can put in forty into Pog on Grenon. No problem. Do you believe in it? Yeah, yeah. Is this, yeah. Is I, this... I believe I believe Jonas will drop Pogacar in the Alps on back to back days. Yeah, well um, he Pogacar got dropped on didn't he get dropped on literally every long minute climb in the Tour de France in the past called La Laws um Fontu. Fontu. Yeah. Portet, no, E1 Portet, fuck. Um, <laughs> well, Col de, <laughs> Col de Pour in the Dauphiné 2020 okay. lost a minute. Uh, I smell some factual data there that I do believe that there's an option for Pogacar to have a weakness in those well, clients. you have but to I try. I also smell some copium there. <laughs> well, you have to try. Like, I think if you, like, listen, everyone, like, of course, I want to thank Pagacha, by the way. I should that I haven't yes. done it enough. Like I want to thank Pagacha for making today extremely exciting for true, like honoring yellow and 
you know, otherwise we just have a break right up the road. Another guy takes yellow and we have no real fight for the stage. I think what he did today was really good. I believe his fiance or wife, uh, Erska Zigar, was at the finish. And uh, I think he opened a cancer foundation um, today. Let me just read the quote so I get the, right, the quote right. I had my family at the top of the climb. It was a really special day. We opened a foundation for Cancer Research Day. I'm wearing special shoes for it. If you don't know, his mother-in-law, Erska uh, Zigart, who's a great writer for Bike Exchange in her own right, uh, her, her mother passed away recently. So big win for Pogi, I think, for him and his family, and that's why he was so motivated as well. I also think trying to kill off Roglic was a partial motivator. But, yeah, thanks to him for animating the race. Um, Are you... Are you yes. happy if you're UAE? Because I think they would have expected to oh, get no. a better outcome oh, than no. just winning the stage. If if like, I'm UAE, they gain time. They just they, they just expose they themselves. The yeah, like, I think. Um, if yeah, go ahead, Benji, if if Primoz attacks is a bait move, if you're Poggy, even if he's two forty five ahead, are you happy letting Bennett pace or McNulty or Micah? McNulty was the person that I would have expected to perhaps be the second rider, like next to Micah. And yeah, he crashed in the cobble stage, so I don't know how much that affects him as well. So we got to keep that in mind when it comes to these riders. Bennett crashed as well in the cobble stage, but these are not the domestics that can reel in Roglic attacks. And Micah, towards the end of the climb, was not really uh, the most defining factor, like you said. That pool was the weakest of all of them. So... I'm not I'm not sold on their team strength despite them having multiple riders in that on that climb. Yeah, I think yeah, it's just he's the team invested a lot and yeah, it's just But also because like Cuz drops in the final stretch there. Same was it a bit later than Cuz or uh, than uh, than Micah or was it at the time that Micah was at the front like we saw Yumbo two Yumbo mistakes dropping away at that point is that do you trust them to be better than than Micah? Because oh yeah yeah I would Coos, expect yeah yeah okay. yeah yeah yeah. Coos, I think came top ten on the stage. Oh yeah, came tenth okay. uh, ahead of Martinez. Yeah, Coos was because uh, like he's recovering from COVID. He's better on the long long climbs anyway. Even though he won on Bechelis last year, um, I'm not sure Planche de Belfi is his jam. I did want him in the break today, um, but no, nah, Coos looking good. Kreisvank looking fine. I think. At the end of the Pickle. day, how much can they help? Yeah, Peacock, this is the thing, Benji. Another thing, there's a lot of different things with like what the teams, like there's more info now at the first mount top finish on what they should do. Like Bora obviously will go for stages and provide limited support for Vlasov because, you know, maybe he's got the injury, maybe he's just not in good shape. You don't know. Ineos now have, let me count quickly, three, four riders still in the top 10, one third, one fourth, Thomas Yates. Pidcock is on 135. Are they? Is there a chance that they end up with two guys fourth to seventh on GC and no stage wins if they don't try something different? That's very possible, but perhaps when they get to later phases, they might do other stuff. But when it comes to Pidcock, did he end up supporting Martinez or was he just dropping to the same group because he finished in the same group as Martinez? Pitcock, to me, has been a wonderful domestique in the first few stages of this race. Like, yesterday, for example, do you, uh, the couple stage, I mean. Like, what do you see in today's stage when it comes to Pitcock? Because getting 49 seconds down on Planche de Belfia is actually insane for that guy. 
it is and it isn't. Like it's still a 20-minute climb after an easy day. I would question how he will go on the multi-mountain stages to come with 40-minute climbs. I think obviously Thomas is their main GC option. I did not expect him to be coming ahead of Martinez by best part of 30 seconds, over 30 seconds on a stage like this. So I think I think you just have to go all in on Thomas, right? And then let, I don't know, Peacock, it would be a shame if they don't end on the podium and they get no stage wins. And that could happen because like Peacock can't go on the break tomorrow. Like yeah. who, no one's going to let him in the break. So at least I don't think so. So that's, uh, that's something like what would you do if, if if I was them I would tell Pigcock to lose time going breaks and have some fun to be honest I think that's uh certainly an option like how far let's say let's count his team out for example we see his climbing today what will he do in the Alps stages if he doesn't lose time like he's gonna lose time anyway so I think it's only logical that he then chooses to do it on purpose to make sure he can either still be of support for the team because the more time you spend trying to defend that top 10 position, the more energy you spend that you could use supporting your team as well in the future. But also next to that, the more stages that go by that you can't do anything for yourself either. So it's like a combined effect, you know? Yeah, and like tomorrow is the perfect example. Like each day that passes where you don't lose time before inevitably losing a lot of time, you're just costing yourself opportunities. Like, although it's good experience, like if you're doing a dummy run for defending or riding GC in the future, you know, that's kind of what I guess he's doing. But tomorrow's stage from, how do you say this? Dole, Dole, Dole to Lausanne. Uh, this is just nailed <laughs> on breakaway. The intermediate sprint is after a climb for the first time in the race, 47 Ks in after a six and a half K, 4% climb. So I've really heard my voice shouting. Um, because the tour is back, <laughs> baby. Um, 2.1K is 5.5%, 6.7K is 5%, 2.3K 6% dotted around medium mountains, but nothing too severe before a stepped 5K 4.5% finish, but that's not really what the finish is. I don't think it's like uh, 1.5K 6% and then another 1.5Ks at... Uh, seven percent with three percent false flight uphill for the last 400 so the reason i brought up pidcock is because this is like this is pidcock territory in the break magnus court territory well but not martin vanderpol who should abandon um <laughs> i think we'll see Wout in the break tomorrow benji okay mainly well should he I don't know. What is his points lead at the moment? Because that's very important, you know. Yeah. We saw today that Philipson was not sprinting for the intermediate sprint against after sprinting for it yesterday. So not sure what's going on there. But when it comes to Art Finard, 203 points, that is 66% of what Sportsa said that he needed to win, which was 300 points. Now, I will say that we've both agreed that it probably should be a bit more than 300, just to be sure. But yeah, yeah, 363 points. 63 points ahead of Jakobsen. Um, how many sprint stages does Jakobsen have left to do that? I think it's not essential for Rao to go in every single one of these intermediate the, these stages breakaways. Like, I think they could unironically just fight for the uh, intermediate sprints at the start of like stage where it's like twenty k in as well with Laporte and so forth. Just set up a sprint train with the two and get those points. Make sure that Jakobsen doesn't gain twenty. And you think they need to gain more? 
So what he should do tomorrow is uh, to get the most points for the least energy, Yumbo should not go in the break, not fight for the break because mm-hmm. people just don't want to – like the problem when you show yourself as so strong is that people don't want to work with you because they're yeah. not idiots. Like they're not going to work with you, toe with you. The other team directors are like don't work with Van Aert in the break. Don't go with him in the break. So what I would do is – like UAE have to let the break go and tomorrow. Now, whether they care about if there's someone to take yellow, like Pogaccia could, he could win that uphill finish. Yeah, but Pogaccia could win every uphill finish. Like he shouldn't be pacing the entire stage every uphill tomorrow, finish just because stupid. he can win. Exactly. But my factor to this is as well that when you look at the stage, the initial portion is flat. So there will be like three rulers that will drive up the road for a bit. And then that small uphill starts like, 25 kilometers in and i think that's where the break will start properly forming and that means there's gonna be a battle of like 40-ish kilometers even more perhaps for a breakaway to form again so if you want to try and get out for in the breakaway after a battle of 40k again then you're spending so much energy but if he's in the breakaway he's got a chance of the stage but on the other hand i feel like today kind of proved that if out is with the team he can also do some stuff you know like of course he wasn't important on Plage de Belfia, but Positioning wise, no, it, it made a difference. Like you compare the run in Benji today compared to yesterday, it's night and day. The run in for Yumbo Visma in terms of being all together. Roglic still moved up in the Bora train and nearly hit a car and crashed at one point. But uh, that aside, I would. So what Yumbo should do is break goes. Hopefully for them, it's four or five guys, and then. You let the break go before that climb. Unfortunately, the break might form on that climb, uh, in which case maybe Wout tries to get in the break there. But what you do is if the break's gone before then, you then pace the climb hard with Laporte and Kreuzweig, drop Jakobsen, make the peloton, but like not attack. See, the thing, remember Bike Exchange last year? They had like surge and attack. Jensen and Matthews. Pointless. You pace hard so that you go over first you have the pillow on your wheel and Jakobsen can't contest it and other riders take all the points. And then you just stop and then breakaway wins and have a nice day, everybody. That's the minimal effort to get the maximum reward for the intermediates. So that's what they should do. And but we should, we should, we're going on too long. Who do you think, <laughs> I think, nailed on break? Um, I'm going with... I think so as well. Morich. You're going Morich? It's actually not a bad shout for the stage. I would have loved... And it hurts that it, I don't know, it's a stage that finished in Switzerland, right? Lausanne. I would like to see an unchained GC Kung. No, not a GC Kung, a Stefan Kung. Go in the breakaway because I believe that these segments between climbs, the ruler segments could end up getting him away. Because Kung has been climbing like an absolute beast these last few months. So I would love to see Stefan Kung in the break. I don't believe that he's going to be unchained, but they could actually generally win the stage like that. And... Hopefully we see it because Stefan Kung is an absolute legend. And I fear that he's going to be used in the same way that Pollard was used with Shockman and so forth today. Kung and Pinot going they to did break away together. They did try uh-huh. and use him that way. He chased back breaks with Dino. Um, <laughs> no. But yeah. uh, also, I want to talk about a man that goes deep near your heart. And yesterday, the Quokka was crying. Today, he's sobbing a fucking river. Like, no, Ben O'Connor lost 6 minutes 45 today. Breakaway, Breakaways, I, doesn't yeah. look good enough at the moment. Well, that's the thing. Hopefully, he like that's yeah, like you can't win against someone like Kamner in a mountain break in that condition. So 
Hopefully he recovers and maybe in the Megev's after the rest day, I'd love to see him go in the Megev break because that'll be a breakaway. But yeah, I'm not sure what's up, but the cobble stage has sort of put him on a bad trajectory. But yeah, Benji, we should... Uh, getting in the break tomorrow will be Paulus, Court, Wellens, uh, Ciccone, Sturvin, Turns, Turns Morich, Tratnik, Honore, Bagioli, uh, maybe Shackman again. Why not? Crone. Crone, um, good pick. Crone, Gilbert, uh, Sagan might try. Boson Hagen, Viermoz. I think with Quintana losing time, they should free Bargui. Did you say Millard? Clark. Oh, Clark, yes. Madawas, free Madawas and Kung. Uh, Full Sang last time, Netherlands. Yeah, it could much? be a good fight. How much time did Full Sang lose? Like, I want to see like if there's a possibility for him remotely even being in the breakaway. Five seventeen. Like this guy can actually yeah, go in breakaways break. now, and he looks fucking strong right now, even yeah. though he dropped on Blanche Murphy. <laughs> uh, Matthew should get in a break with the tugboat uh, with Grindel Janssen or and Co or Schultz, or maybe they should ride for Schultz. I don't know. I think it'll be a big break. I think it could be a good big, good big break battle uh, tomorrow, and UA should take the day off. Yeah. But hey, we might just see Wout van Aert going 60k in a row, just trying to launch 60 attacks to try and get away. That's also a possibility, eh? But <laughs> hey, we'll see what happens tomorrow. It looks to be a promising stage from the start, just a very active stage. But I do fear that I think it'll be a GC won't stage. care. <laughs> I, think, I think the most best part for the stage will be the end and this first 60 kilometers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the middle will be the breakaway getting a gap because nobody in the peloton will care. I'm worried. I'm worried there's going to be a Morich Molimer style move on those middle climbs, and it's a 50k solo like last year, and be boring. Yeah. Um, in four matches, could like like we've seen him do crazy stuff in Tirreno <laughs> when it comes to climbing. This finish actually fits him. I feel like an in four matches, but matches yeah, yeah, stages but are not matches stages anymore. I think they know now. I think they know now, but they can't chase the break. He has to be in yeah, the break. In the break, like. You cannot chase the break because Wild Banat will yep. ruin you in the finish. With two tugboats, Jensen and Durbridge. And maybe free Nick Schultz. I don't know, just saying, free. Anyway, that's a long one from us today. You can obviously tell I'm in a much better mood because... Um, Competition. <laughs> I'm on an insane level of cope, like Pogaccio on the stage. And I'm like, this is... Pogaccio's looking weak. He's looking weak. <laughs> um, <laughs> but hey, i got to get myself through the next two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> waited a year for this so anyway i'm happy Jonas and roberts are looking good we got a battle that's all we wanted alps are looking good morich will win tomorrow with a 50k solo maybe have a little nap and that's all from us ciao